Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Are you an iron woman? And I'm talking about the nutrient, not the event. Do you ever feel tired or have you lost your mojo for running? Or maybe you're struggling to recover adequately from your training sessions. Have you ever considered your iron levels? Could a a low iron status be what's holding you back? In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the many risk factors for low iron, including influences such as your diet and the physiological effects of running. We'll go on to focus on how you could optimize your iron intake and bioavailability so you can regain and maintain your running mojo. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everybody, welcome back. I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen. Um, so before we start, as always, we're going to share a little bit of personal information regarding our running or nutrition. So Karen, I just wanted to ask you, um, have you ever lost your motivation for running? And um, when you have lost your mojo, how did you get it back? Yes, that's a really good question, um, Alien. And hi, everybody. Great to be here again. Um, so thinking about that, I think the times I've lost my motivation for running are times when I've been injured. Sort of when I'm recovering from the injury, I find that I'm always longing to be out there running. But when it comes to beginning the running again, I, I just find it really difficult to get going. Now, I think it's because I've, I've lost so much of my fitness level that I know I've got to start again and, and build up and, and I know it's the right way to, to, to go about it and that it's really important to start slowly to reduce the risk of the injury going again. However, I, I just want to be where I left off. Um, I don't want to have to go through that process again, but, but I know that it's, that it's the right way. So, um, but how do I get over this? thinking well I, I have to reframe my thinking actually and I've got to really think about why why I'm doing it and the importance of doing it and, and sort of concentrating on that injury prevention 
And and what what else I try, tend to do is just try and put a race in my diary so that I know I'm working towards something bigger. So that really helps to sort of bring back that motivation. So how about you, Alien? Have you ever lost your mojo and how did you deal with it? Yeah, well, I think my story is similar to yours, and I'm sure it's the same for many runners. Um, but whenever I've had a break in my running, I almost like lose confidence in my ability to run. And uh, in the last couple of years, I've had spells of three or four months of no running uh, due to minor illnesses and injuries. And I think my head sort of gets in the way. And the only way of getting over it is to get back out there and acknowledge that you have to build up slowly. And like you say, you know, it's uh, you will have lost some fitness and you've got to get back out there but not do it too quickly so I I usually try to focus on just enjoying the running and enjoying the scenery and being in the fresh air and focus on what I feel I can do rather than what I can't do um, and I, I also try to remember what it was like to be a beginner runner and I, you know I've never gone back to that stage and I remember how much of a challenge that was and I remember how I did it and how it was sheer grit, you know, it was really just going out there and building it up week after week after week. And, uh, and that was without any experience. So, you know, we're always in a better position now, but, you know, I think it's, it's common to lose your mojo and, uh, mm. just try not to go for too long without it. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> a, that's a key. And, and the other thing that sort of I was thinking about, you know, with, um, just as we were talking there was, you know, our topic is about iron. And as we know, it, depletion in iron can also lead to lack of energy. And sometimes lack of energy can be the thing that stops you from running. And, you know, it's horrible going out for a run when you haven't got any energy. So maybe that's another reason for people losing their mojo. Um, so maybe we can be thinking about that as we're talking about today's topic. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so moving on, um, as I've, I've already mentioned, we're, we're talking about iron status and running performance. Um, we did briefly discuss this in episode seven, uh, which was quite a while ago now, um, where we explored vitamins and minerals. Um, but because iron is such a key nutrient for runners, we thought we would revisit it today and delve in a bit deeper into its importance. Um, so just before I, I start asking you some questions, Karen, just as a bit of an overview um, and a recap, really, I, I think most of us are probably aware that iron is essential for hemoglobin production and that um, transports oxygen from the lungs to the cells for energy production. So it's really vital for a runner um, because we need we need that energy. Um, but runners, especially female runners, are at an increased risk of deficiency compared to the general public. So today we're going to look at uh, three key areas, uh, which are the importance of iron for a runner and the effects of iron status on running performance, what the potential causes of iron deficiency are, and what nutrition uh, people can um, use to support optimal iron status. So that's um, that's what today is going to be about. So, Karen, uh, could you start off just by describing and defining iron? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. So, so iron is classed as a micronutrient um, and an essential trace mineral, to be more exact, and it's found in 
all the cells of the body and has some um, several vital functions, but principally its function is to assist in the haemoglobin production in the red blood cells and that subsequent transport of oxygen that you've just mentioned, Aileen. And I said that it was an, an essential trades mineral and it's classed as an essential uh, mineral because the body is unable to produce its own supply of iron. Therefore, our requirements must come from our food. And also, um, iron balance in the body is regulated by absorption only because we actually don't have a physiological mechanism within the body to, to, um, monitor its excretion. So it's all about the absorption. Oh, that's really interesting, isn't it? So yeah. that's a really great overview. And I, I mentioned at the beginning that iron's important for a runner. Um, and we mentioned the circulation of oxygen in the body as being one of the reasons why. So could you expand on this a little and, and give us an idea of some other reasons for its importance? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So, yes, I mentioned earlier that Iron assists the production of hemoglobin, but it is also um, the functional component of myoglobin. So just to help everybody understand the difference between hemoglobin and myoglobin. So myoglobin is the iron and oxygen binding protein that's found in skeletal muscle tissue. It's also found in the heart as well. Um, whereas the haemoglobin is the oxygen binding protein that's found inside the red blood cells, as we mentioned earlier. So as you can see, muscle has its own oxygen stores that, that it can call upon, you know, when it's, when it's, um, it's doing some really heavy or intense exercise. Also, it is known that iron is important in the, in the production of red blood cells, as well as the production of hemoglobin within the red blood cells. So, so you can really understand how and why, um, iron is key for energy for a runner. Yeah, really important for us runners. Um, and I think it's also important to know that iron has got many other functions in the body that may impact the runner indirectly. So, uh, the immune system, the cognitive, um, what, the cognitive ways that we, um, use our brain, uh, and hormonal effects as well. Um, so I know you're concentrating particularly on the direct relevance to the runner today. Um, but, but just to add to what you've told us, Karen, iron's also a component of the cell energy cycle. So, uh, people might have heard of the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle. And that's where the, um, the energy powerhouses are known as the mitochondria work. Um, so really iron's pretty much important everywhere in the body from what we're saying. Um, yes, it is alien. And, and I think what you've just said shows how strong a role iron plays in, in maintaining that aerobic capacity for the runner, but also how significant the effects of low iron status could potentially be on running performance for somebody. So thinking about this low iron status, if, if we're in that situation, um, let's consider that in a bit more detail. So Karen, I know there are three phases to low iron status, and that was something that you um, touched on in a previous episode. So there's iron depletion or insufficiency, there's iron deficiency, and there's iron deficiency anemia. 
So I think it'd be really helpful if you could give us a quick summary of each and also what the potential effects on performance are for a runner. Yes, um, of course. So, um, so thinking about iron insufficiency first. So that's, um, that's where there's depletion in the iron stores, which is also known as ferritin. So there's this depletion in ferritin, but there isn't any depletion in circulating iron at this point in time. So it's not thought to have any effect on um, running performance or any athletic performance at all. So then you go into iron deficiency. So again, there's a further decrease in the iron stores, so those ferritin levels, but there's also also starting to be an impact on the muscle iron stores as well. And at this point, some iron iron dependent functions uh, might become to might become compromised. So you were speaking about the immune system earlier, Aileen. So it could be that uh, runners find that they're more prone to colds or or other infections. So so that's that could be sort of that that initial pointer, that initial symptom that, that sums things up. So there's some depletion um, to circulating iron and also that ongoing depletion to the ferritin levels. But the oxygen carrying capacity is not thought to be affected. Therefore, aerobic capacity and running performance is not supposed to be affected up to this point in time. But interestingly, it is suggested by some scientists that this isn't the case and that aerobic capacity of runners could be affected at this time. So, again, this is maybe something that's quite individual or something that needs to be um, researched further to really determine if there is an effect on, um, on running performance aerobic capacity at this point. And then from there, if it's not addressed, you then move into that iron deficiency anemia. And this is where you've now got impairment of oxy oxygen supply to the tissues and hemoglobin concentrations that are really reduced at this point. And, and the ferritin levels are, are empty. So, and, mm. and, and definitely at this point, you can see that there's a, a, a deterioration in aerobic capacity and that running performance is, is vastly diminished. And it is actually thought that a reduction in hemoglobin as little as one to two grams per hundred mils of serum or blood, whatever you want to say, can decrease performance by around 20%. And I think that is really significant. Mm, it is. So in summary, what we're saying is that a low iron status can potentially lead to the onset of iron deficiency anemia uh, which is known to lead to the reduced production of red blood cells and therefore the reduction of the transport of oxygen um, for consumption during exercise. Um, and also that low iron status could potentially be recognized earlier. So I think this is a really important point. So if, if you do find that you're suffering from colds or infections or you're constantly feeling tired, um, it you, you might want to get your iron status checked out because you don't want it to um, get worse and lead you into this um, iron deficiency and anemia. Um, so, yeah, just keep an eye out if your running speed or your distance is, is dropping or your recovery from training is slow. I mean, there could be other reasons for these symptoms, but definitely it would be worthwhile getting 
your iron levels tested um, and check out if this is potentially the cause. Okay, so we've looked at the effects of low iron stasis, Karen. So now can we look at the potential causes of its depletion? Um, we know that any athletic training increases the need for iron due, due to an increase in the turnover of iron at tissue level. Um, so that is the, the increased energy needs. But that doesn't really explain the degree of low iron status so commonly seen in, in runners and, and other athletes too. So, Karen, are there some physiological and dietary causes of low iron in runners that you could share with us? Yeah, absolutely. There are actually several potential reasons for um, low iron levels in runners, especially long distance uh, endurance runners. And these include hemolysis, which I'll explain a little bit in a minute. Um, also, gastrointestinal bleeding and um, sweating as well. You're going to lose small amounts in sweating. Um, hematuria, so any blood in the urine. Also, if there's a, a low iron intake, I'm thinking here maybe of vegetarians, vegans, or maybe just people making um, poor food choices consistently. And then low iron availability, so um, those absorption inhibitors that you can find naturally in foods and also an increase in, in hepcidin. So... Um, so going back to that hemolysis I, I mentioned, now this is something that some of our listeners may not have heard of, um, or they may know it is uh, by the term heel strike. I think that's commonly used in lots of magazines and adverts and things. Um, we do mention it briefly in episode seven when we're discussing the vitamins and minerals for the female runner. But just to sort of recap it, it it is thought that this that the pounding of the heel on the ground over long distances can lead to damage of small capillaries and the destruction of red blood cells in the heel of the foot but as well as the heel of the foot it's also thought that this is going to happen throughout the body just due to that impact that's felt throughout the body from that that heel strike and therefore, due to this, you're going to have that loss of iron. Now, different levels of impacts clearly going to determine the levels of hemolysis experience. So, for example, I'm thinking um, of running, running uphill versus running downhill, uh, running on hard surfaces versus soft surfaces. So really worth um, considering and bearing in mind um, if energy is uh, if if low iron is um, an issue for anybody, yeah, it's it's um, a fascinating thought, really, to think that which is by running and our heel strike, we could be causing this situation. Mm. Um, so another one that might be new to some of our listeners, although we do mention it briefly in episode seven, is hepcidin. Um, and how that impacts on low ions. And, and we said earlier that there's no integral mechanism for excreting excess iron. So hepcidin is, is the chief hormone for regulating the absorption of iron from the gut. Um, but it can be elevated in the presence of inflammation and GI inflammation. So that's gut inflammation, which, as we know, is, is common in distance runners. So when there's an elevated hepcidin level, that means that more iron is bound to it and excreted from the body rather than being absorbed. Mm. So that's a, another interesting insight. Isn't it, it is, Karen? absolutely. And, and hepcidin can um, limit absorption, like you say, and research has determined that 
its elevation um, tends to occur or its peak elevation tends to occur about three to six hours post training. So and, and if you think about it, that's probably the time when many runners will be having a meal, potentially an iron rich meal. So that's really something to consider when planning meals, if it is going to be iron rich, having it outside of that three to three to six hours. So and also sort of looking at the absorption um, side of it, um, in addition to hepcidin, like I say, there are certain foods that naturally contain these nutrient um, inhibitors and ones affecting iron are, are known as phytates. Now, these phytates um, are found in grains and legumes. So legumes, I'm thinking of beans, pulses, lentils, also in nuts and seeds and some fruits and vegetables. And then also there's tannins. So again, tannins can be found in black tea, coffee, red wine, um, cocoa and some vegetables. So here I'm thinking about spinach and clearly spinach is, is high in iron. So it's kind of a contradiction there. Um, some cereals and again, legumes as well. So, you know, quite a lot of foods contain these these anti-nutrients for want of another word mm. yeah it's and i really like the advice you gave there karen about if you are wanting to have an iron rich meal you know so if you've got a low iron status and you think well i'm going to really focus on including iron in my food plan you need to make sure that you're having those iron rich foods uh, or meals away from your endurance running um, and that's automatically going to help you. Um, so I was reading some research that also um, suggested that coffee reduced iron absorption from a meat-based meal of by 35% and that tea reduced iron uptake from a bread-based snack by 60%. So if you consider that we regularly only absorb between 15 and 35% of iron from meat, which is the heme iron, and between 3 and 20% of plant-based iron, the non-heme iron, these inhibitors could have a significant impact on our overall iron status. So it's not just how we're eating them, but it's, it's not just what we're eating, but how we're eating them that's going to make a difference mm. to our uh, nutrient status, mm, isn't definitely. it? Um, so, Karen, I'm conscious of time, um, but... I'd really be interested for you to share some um, female factors that we should consider regarding iron status. Yes, definitely, um, Aileen, and there are some. Um, so, so just sort of thinking about the national guidelines for daily iron intake, you know, that would suggest it suggests a double amount of intake for women besides men. So that just shows the importance of of iron for women. So for men, the daily intake is recommended at eight point seven milligrams. Um, whereas for women, it's 14.8 milligrams. Now, for over 50-year-olds, um, they, they recommend going back down to 8.7 milligrams, so the same as men. And then the requirements for pregnant women increases significantly. Again, it goes right up to 27 milligrams per day. So, so the increased requirements for women are clearly due to menstruation um, because it's 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 leading to the significant blood loss each month. So women with really heavy or frequent menstrual blood menstrual bleeding would need to be even more vigilant regarding their iron status. 
and and again the higher amounts in women during pregnancy uh, are because of that rapid growth of the fetus requiring that extra blood cir circulation so that extra oxygen needs and you know i was saying here that daily iron intake for women over 50 drops to the same as men due to really an assumption that menstruation stops um, with menopause at 50. But as we know, this is not the case for everybody, every woman, you know, everybody is different. So any female over 50 who is still menstruation, menstruating should really continue to follow the recommendations for the younger women until menopause is then confirmed. And, and just a note here, I just thought I would add this, this in, um, you know, for, for anybody out there who's, who's a mum and got teenage children, um, it's just worth noting that, that adolescent boys require 11 milligrams, um, of iron a day, whereas the girls need 15 milligrams a day. So again, the girls need more because they're moving into puberty. So they will be, be beginning to um, to have those menstrual cycles. Wow! So as you can see, iron is really important for the runner, especially the female runner. And um, there's many reasons why the status of iron might be compromised, including our diet, menstruation, GI inflammation. Um, which leads to a cause of this increase in hexagon production. And of course, the foot strike that you mentioned as well. Karen. Yes, that's right, Aileen. Um, all of those things need to be taken into consideration. So, but before we move on to um, consider how we could optimize the intake and absorption of iron to, to help maintain our iron levels, let's just um, take a short advert break. So Aileen, I'm going to hand back to you again. Okay, thanks, Karen. So this is the point in the uh, episode where we pause um, our conversation for a short advert break. And as many of you know, the podcast is supported by Runners Health Hub. And that's where Karen and I offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster, stronger runner. And uh, some of you may may know that over the last few months, we've been doing some research around nutrition and the lifestyle challenges experienced by the women in our Facebook group. Um, we realize that the topics that we cover in the podcast episodes are really well received and we get lots of positive feedback. Um, but the missing link is that many of our followers don't really know how to put it all into practice and they want to get some direct input from us while they do it. So to meet that need, what we've been doing is we've been very busy designing our Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner method and we're offering some free training um, so if you're getting frustrated with the health challenges of being a midlife runner, we'd love to invite you to our free live online training. And if you're interested in joining us, it just takes an hour of your time. Uh, check out our show notes and I've put a link at the top of the show notes. And all you need to do is click on the link and register. Um, or if it's easier, just email us and we'll send you the link. Um, and we'll send you uh, details of how you can join our next online training. Um, so if you want to email us, hello at runnershealthhub.com, or you can message us via Facebook and we'll send the link. Uh, but we'd love to have you join us. And um, it's our mission to help you be a healthy woman and a healthy runner for many years to come. So we really hope that you'll join us over in the free training. 
Thanks, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and take a look at how we can optimize our iron intake and its absorption. So, so it is thought that a runner following a meat-based diet containing a high content of heme iron can generally match his or her um, iron requirements. Um, it's it's more when someone is following a, a restricted or specialised diet with low iron availability that compromised status is supposed to occur. And I'm thinking here of diets including the vegetarian or vegan diet, possibly the pescatarian diet as well, because most heme iron is found in red meat, a raw food diet um, or a low energy diet. And um, there are other diets out there as well that may compromise iron levels but those were the key these are the key ones that spring to my mind and this is principally due to the fact that the plant-based diet food the plant-based foods contain the non-heme iron which isn't really readily absorbed due to the nutrient inhibitors that we mentioned earlier so so what can we do about this alien maybe you could start off by by sort of answering that yeah. yeah i mean i think that the the overriding message is you can um, take steps which will help optimize your your iron status even if you are following one of these food plans so um you know i think um you shouldn't be too worried but that you know you've got to take extra special care so i think using a combination of different food processing methods is thought to help um, because you can completely remove these inhibitors, these um, anti-nutrients, as you called them earlier on. Um, so one of the things that I tend to do and, and a recommendation that I make to my clients is um, when you're thinking about using uh, grains and nuts and seeds, um, it's ideal if you can soak them before you use them. So soak them in cold water for at least 12 hours before use, then rinse them off and with with a, and then cook them out as normal but if you're using nuts and seeds you likely want to eat them dry so what you do after you soak them is that you would dry them out very very slowly either in a very low heat oven so approximately 46 degrees celsius or a dehydrator if you've got one um and you you do that very slow drying out period for about um 12 hours so it is time consuming, um, but it's definitely a lot cheaper than buying um, activated nuts and seeds that you see in the health food shops. Um, another way that you can help is um, using sprouting as a method of deactivating these anti-nutrients, which again, you could do yourself or you could purchase um, from a health food shop or or the supermarket. So it, it's a sort of a habit you need to get into doing. It, it seems a bit of a a sort of a, a long-winded way of dealing with things but once you get into the routine of doing it it's not actually that difficult exactly it just becomes a habit doesn't it and and i think these are some really good ideas alien and on top of that maybe you could consider um including some iron absorption enhancing foods so i'm thinking here um about vitamin c rich foods and that is quite well advertised so lots of you are probably aware that that vitamin c does enhance the absorption of iron um and, and I'm thinking of foods such as red chili peppers, sweet peppers, kale, parsley, broccoli, um, clearly oranges, which is what everybody um, knows about, but also strawberries, tomatoes, and even Brussels sprouts. Um, 
and and thinking about the tannins we spoke earlier about the tannins in in um, beverages so the red wine the tea and the coffee so really i would say the easiest way of preventing their influence on iron is to drink them away from food especially foods that are that you know are rich in iron and that's quite an easy thing to do is just to sort of consider what you're drinking alongside your meals yeah that's a, a really easy easy thing to to implement mm. isn't it so so Karen I just wanted to mention calcium here uh, because calcium is known to inhibit the absorption of both heme and non-heme iron um, so if we were to think of calcium containing foods like dairy and uh, fish with the, the small bone fish things like sardines and anchovies um, the easiest way of avoiding their interaction um, with iron because they're the calcium rich foods would be to avoid eat, eating them together. So you would just, um, when you're making your meals, think, okay, if I'm going to have those types of calcium rich foods, I should avoid um, having them when I'm trying to promote my iron status. Yeah, exactly. A bit like the beverages, just avoiding eating them together. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up, Aileen. And actually, just before we, we close this section, I just want to um, mention the timing of food intake again. You know, remember earlier we mentioned the impact of hepcidin and that that peaks at that three to six hour window post-training. So really worth thinking about and remembering to try and consume your iron-rich foods outside of that window on that day. Or like you suggested earlier, Aileen, having your iron-rich foods on other days that, you know, the days that you're not training. Although I think it's important to have iron every day, but if it's a particularly rich iron food, then maybe having that outside of your training days um, and then the other um, iron rich foods having outside of that three to six hour window so lots to think about but like you were saying Aileen it's just about practice and then once it becomes habit you don't really have to think about it very much absolutely that's a great point to end on Karen so just to summarize some of the food and nutrition points to consider are um, if you're eating a meat-based diet containing red meat um approximately three times a week is probably the easiest way of maintaining a good iron status. Um, sprouting and soaking foods that are high in phytates would be helpful in help in removing the anti-nutrients that we mentioned. Uh, eating foods high in vitamin C alongside iron-rich foods will encourage absorption. Avoiding eating calcium-rich foods and beverage-containing tannins alongside the iron-rich foods will enhance its absorption. And try to remember avoid eating iron rich foods in that three to six window, uh, three to six hour window that Karen just mentioned post training. And that could reduce the effects of hexadon. Um, but remember, this is just if you're doing the long distance or the high impact running. So if it's, uh, you know, if it's just a gentle, um, jog, that's not going to be too much of a problem. Okay, Karen. So, um, really helpful and interesting information from you today. Um, but could you just finish with your key takeaways from this episode, please? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So the key takeaways from today, I think, are just to remember iron is a key nutrient in the transport of oxygen to tissue and in the production of energy. So it is crucial for a runner. Uh, hemoglobin levels 
could be normal, whilst ferritin, so that's your stored iron levels, could be greatly depleted. So it is important to get both tested for a more accurate assessment. Um, so when you go and visit your GP, just asking for the ferritin and the haemoglobin levels. There are lots of risk factors associated with iron insufficiency and deficiency, and it is most likely to be a combination of several rather than one specific element causing the diminished iron levels. Um, we can potentially absorb as little as 3% of non-heme iron up to a maximum of 30% of heme iron. So I think this just shows that a regular intake of iron is really essential to maintain optimum iron levels. Um, and also th just a reminder again about these nutrient inhibitors that are associated with iron stator status. So really consider the different ways that we suggested to avoid their effects to help maintain your, your iron status. Um, and then finally, I would just say that there, there are also the nutrient enhancers for iron absorption. So really ensuring that you include these in your meal plan when eating your iron-rich foods. Well, thanks again, Karen. That's been a great conversation. Uh, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. <music>